the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. hard to find a two-year stretch in Daytona 500 history where the winners were as surprising as the past two years. There have been one-offs like Trevor Bain in 2011 or Derek Cope in 1990, but nothing compares to Michael McDowell in 2021 and Austin Sindrick in 2022. Sindrick ended up being the Rookie of the Year, so it's possible his name as a Daytona 500 winner might not be so astounding down the road. Will a third consecutive Daytona 500 be claimed by an unforeseen driver? Or will one of the favorites rise to the top to take their place among NASCAR immortals? To help me break down the 2023 edition of the Daytona 500, I welcome in two of the best there is when it comes to NASCAR coverage in the Daytona Beach News Journal's Ken Willis and Ryan Pritt. Ken's been covering NASCAR in Daytona since Ronald Reagan's first term in office, while Ryan, a lifelong NASCAR fan, will be covering his first 500 as the sports editor in Daytona. I'll also put our experts to the test in our 2023 edition of Daytona 500 Trivia. You won't want to miss that. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida Network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. As has been the case for decades, the Daytona 500 kicks off the new NASCAR season, and there's a lot to know about 2023. So let's bring in Ryan and Ken. Fellows, welcome back to the podcast. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. All righty, well, Ryan, I'm going to start with you because your last appearance a few weeks ago shattered all our podcast download records when we broke down the Rolex 24. So is it your good looks, your silky smooth voice, knowledge of racing that puts the ears in the earbuds? Like, you know, how did we do that? Well, well, first, you know, the fans were disappointed because this is an audio only podcast. But I think the real the real thing of it is, is, you know, obviously I'm from West Virginia and there's not a lot to do there. So all my friends and family probably clicked on it 100 times. And that's that's what I'm attributing it to. All righty. Good to have a lot of family in West Virginia. (laughs) And, and, you know, that's better than putting butts in seats when you put ears in earbuds, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know they had. Do they get this on ham radio back home? (laughs) well you know ken in the open i I mentioned that you've been at this since reagan's first term so refresh us all what year did you start covering the daytona 500 and who won back then i will say it was my first one was after the midterms however (laughs) (laughs) i want to say the first one with a notepad and pen was 83 i was at the 82 firecracker 400 in a working capacity um but 83 was my first 500 as on the staff as a uh, young young lad i think third grade i might have been in at the time <laughs> yes of course 83 and then i was born the following year so there you go ken <laughs> uh, look at the time <laughs> look at the time yeah well you know ryan you were born the year that hulk hogan became wwf champion and launched a great career so 84 good year for wrestling and nascar absolutely <laughs> awesome year absolutely <laughs> I didn't think I was going to learn anything here today. <laughs> well, you know, Ken, I also hear that you do what, what, you know, what a lot of the people who are getting up there in age start doing. You're a pickleball man, aren't you? <laughs> this, this has gotten, uh, this is starting to get a little darker in here. I don't know, uh, 
Yeah, but I will t- I will say this that uh, that game is getting younger every time. Every time we go play, there's a new crop of uh, youngsters. So yeah. I'm not going to fight it because some of them wear uh, uh, yoga pants. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. I was discussing with Ryan and some other people earlier that there's a dark side to pickleball and the courts are getting incredibly competitive. And, you know, you've got to stick to certain rules, time limits and other things because people, they're going to bully off the course if you don't. Listen, there's never been a good thing invented that somebody can't ruin. So I'm I'm looking forward to that happening. Thanks for bringing it up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's get to what people came here for, not pickleball. Let's start talking about the race this weekend. And, uh, you know, uh, Ryan, you guys have been down at the track for the past few weeks now, and you're seeing all sorts of really cool things and talking to all sorts of stars and racers and, you know, people in the pits. So talk a little bit about the reporting you've done and what's been, you know, some of the things that I've either impressed you or one of the better stories you've done so far. Yeah, I've gotten to, uh, to, to have some zoom calls and, and phone calls with some pretty cool people over the last couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, you know, we've kept uh, kept it hot. Ken and I are releasing uh, our, our top 75 drivers list, which I'm sure we'll touch on here later. So we've got that going on. But but in terms of people I've talked to, man, you know, I got to talk to Larry McReynolds. I know the last time I was on here, you asked me about improvements to the new car. And, and I told you back then I, I had a, had a meeting set up with somebody that could help with that. Well, that was him. And while he was great with that, he, he really, you know, went into some great detail about what it was like being on on the box for Dale Earnhardt's uh, 1998 Daytona 500 win and for, for Davey Allison in 1992 and what it was like kind of being the crew chief for both of those guys, knowing neither one of them are with us anymore and, and all that stuff. So he, he was really got into the, the personal side of everything a lot more than I, I kind of anticipated, and, and that made for a really cool story. Yeah, very good. And, you know, Ken, you know, obviously, you know, just about everybody down there and you've probably been talking to a lot of people. So, you know, tell us some of the stories that have stood out to you so far down there. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, the whole Jimmy Johnson thing kind of intrigues me. He's going to run, what, half a dozen races this year, I guess. And that whole that whole thing, I don't think he would have gotten involved with this team. It's the uh, old Richard Petty team, at least in name. Uh, Maury Gallagher was is a was a money guy behind it, and uh, Richard Petty is there as a uh, quote unquote owner co owner, but mainly in an, an ambassador role. And Jimmy bought into that team uh, in the off season, and he's returning to NASCAR as a team owner or at least co owner. But he's also going to run five or six races, including the five hundred. And I just tend to think he wouldn't get involved with that team. Unless they were expecting it to, you know, step up in performance. And, you know, they've got Eric Jones and I believe Noah Gragson, right, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's what I'm, you know, just kind of the whole Jimmy Johnson as an owner and part-time driver. That's what I'm, you know, I'm kind of intrigued. The more I think about that, the more it intrigues me. So I'm kind of looking forward to see what happens there. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. You know, Jimmy Johnson with all of those championships in a row and, you know, trying some different things in racing the last few years, but now it always seems to bring him back to NASCAR. So definitely looking forward to that. And uh, Ryan, you know, as I mentioned in my open, you'd be hard pressed to find two more surprising consecutive winners of the Daytona 500 than the last two years where you have Michael McDowell and Austin Sindrick. So do you like a dark horse for a third straight year or do one of the favorites get back on the board? Uh, What do you think is going to happen? Man, predicting predicting winners of the Daytona 500. There, there's very few things that are that is tougher than that. But you know, both of those wins were impressive. But but it took some circumstances to get them there. I mean, McDowell won in, in 2021, but 
you know, it came after a crash between Keselowski and Logano on the backstretch of the last lap to get him there. And every year you see some some favorites knocked out in, in the early laps, and that kind of clears the way for some other guys. But to anticipate which one of those guys may or may not be in some of those wrecks and may or may not be around at the end is really hard. So in the absence of, uh, of any uh, future-telling knowledge here, I, I'll probably go on the safe side and say I, I kind of like uh, – Maybe not the favorite, but one of the favorites going into it this year. Yeah, you know, the odds-on favorites, as you mentioned, some of those guys include Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott. Uh, You know, Ken, who do you like out of that group, or do you maybe like someone else, perhaps our favorite watermelon farmer, Ross Chastain? What are your thoughts? That that's He's as good a pick as any. Uh, you know, uh, I, you know, a lot of times it's a storybook thing that happens, and, and it just kind of – almost as if it's scripted and some of the as conspiracy theorists would, uh, I just woke up when I, you say that scripted the, uh, Kyle Bush, I, I, you know, it'd be perfect for him to win. Cause he's moving over to Richard Childers racing this year. And, uh, and, and it's his first race out of the box with them. And, and he's, he hasn't won this race. I mean, he's won everything else, but he hasn't won the Daytona 500, although he's won a firecracker 400 there in, in July. Uh, that was, you know, first time out of box. And Richard Childress, of course, has a history of visiting Victory Lane there with Earnhardt and Austin Dillon and others. I, I don't have the record book in front of me, but I guess he was there with Harvick, too. But uh, anyway, yeah, I know he was, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so he's been there. He knows the way. He knows the way to uh, San Jose and Victory Lane. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see Kyle Busch and Richard Childress lock arms and, and go through the Victory Lane gate Sunday. Well, there you go. That would probably tick off a lot of fans as Kyle Busch, as we all know, kind of a bit of a lightning rod down there in NASCAR. Well, everybody loves Richard, though, so I think Richard kind of takes a little bit of the heat. <laughs> he, 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 he smooths the edges of Kyle a little bit, you know, and they have a history going back. And I think the Richard Childers fans will say, well, if Richard can suck it up and, and make nice with Kyle Busch, I can, you know, so maybe that'll work. There's some numerology that supports that theory, too, that I kind of got into the other day. I know a lot of people look for that kind of stuff when it comes to racing. But, uh, you know, Kyle's moving from the 18 car to the 8 car this year um, in his 18th full season, by the way. And uh, the last time the and only time the number 8 car went to victory lane in the Daytona 500 was in 2004, which was also the first year that Kyle Busch ever ran a Cup Series race. And That sells it. And one more, if you're, if you're looking for Kyle Busch's average finish in two races at Daytona last year, you guessed it, eighth. Yeah. So wow. there you go. All right. All righty. Well, well, let's bust out the Ouija board. <laughs> I'm to call my bookie. You know what I'm going to bet, too? Eight bucks. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, you look at some of these things that they do, and they're in the simulation, and they do this every year. They run it 10,000 times. And one of the drivers they were high on was William Byron, and he was also high in a simulation last year. He ends up finishing 38th and didn't even finish. So what do you think about, Ryan, these these simulators and these things that they try and generate and come up with betting odds? I mean, like you say, you never know who's going to crash. So how on earth do you bet something like that? <laughs> That's why I don't. <laughs> this is the one <laughs> time of year I'm glad that uh, that sports betting isn't a thing down here because this is it's a dangerous proposition. Um but I will say Byron has a win here. Um, he he's he's a good driver, and I don't know about this week, but Byron is a guy I'm high on for the year. I, every year that he's gone, he's gotten a little bit better, advanced a little bit further in the playoffs. I do think he's a guy to watch, not only Sunday but moving forward too. 
He needs to be this year because I thought his last season he was a bit of a disappointment and from from what you expect out of him. So if he has another – if unless he goes deep in the playoffs, if he doesn't win multiple races this year, they might uh, start cocking an eyebrow his way over there at Team Hendrick. It doesn't take long for that to happen at that team for sure. Yeah. Pretty high expectations over there. <laughs> yep. No, no. Well, very good. Yeah, you know, Ken, I was going to ask you about the next gen car, and Ryan was also mentioning that that he's had some discussions on it. So I'll open it up to both of you guys. But first, I'll start with you, Ken. You know, talk a little bit about some of the improvements, some of the things that you think will be better with this car, and then uh, you know, Ryan, if you can jump in, if if there are some things that you want to add on to it. I, you know, I, I think the big thing that the from a driver's standpoint is they're trying to stiffen up that that rear end a little bit and who among us isn't trying to do that, but uh, (laughs) they were having issues with cars that backed into walls and you might go, why the hell would you back into a wall? Well, they don't do it on purpose. They're kind of wrecked in there and they go in at that angle. And uh, the cars were, they were so stiff that uh, the cars are built to last longer. If they, if they have a brush with the wall or, or an accident that in years past would have tore a car all apart, they're, they tear them up a little less now. So those rear ends were stiffened, and which which adds to the longevity of a chassis and everything else and, and back there. But at the same time, it makes the contact with the wall harder. It, the energy that that moves through the chassis into the cockpit, into the driver's body, is it all comes out there eventually. And the, and the contacts were harder than the drivers pre- appreciate or want. And it led to some concussion issues and some overall soreness and and anger. And so it's going to be interesting to see once we start seeing guys back into walls again, inadvertently, if a guy ever does it on purpose, we're going to have another, that's another topic, (laughs) but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how these cars might, uh, how those crush panels and debris fields might differ this year than they were last year. And of course, they're also still fighting the, uh, the uh, flammability issues that they have. Yeah, I'm just going to touch on that. that. That was the other thing was, um, you know, I like to call it spontaneous combustion. I mean, that, that seemed about <laughs> like what it was, just a car would be driving and then they would cut to it via camera and it's on fire. And and, and um, it was a really strange thing that happened last year. And, you know, I think it basically came down to, to tracks where there were hot, like hot, hot tire wear. Rubber would kind of collect in a rocker box and it would ignite after being heated up. And, um, you know. Larry McReynolds went into it a little bit with me and said that there has been some some efforts made to kind of clear that up. But just like the thing that Ken's talking about, I mean, you're not going to know whether these cars are safer until they crash, and you're not going to know if the fire issue is fixed until you get a few races down the road. So uh, I, I guess we'll all find out together as the season progresses. Yeah, let's hope to avoid some of the spontaneous combustion on the track. That uh, it's uh, Isn't that something that happens to electric cars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, it's good for ratings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to talk about some of the coverage you guys have been doing. And first, you know, it's the 75th anniversary of NASCAR, and Ryan alluded to it earlier. Let's talk a little bit about your list counting down from 75 to number one, the best drivers. So uh, e- either one of you guys can start. How do you uh, how do you work through a list to come up with the 75? You know, do you agree, disagree? Do you assign numbers to it? Like, how does this process work, and, and how much time and effort would you say went into this? Well, it's still going in. The effort's still going in. <laughs> it's, uh, I'll, I'll, since that was my stupid idea and I started the process, I'll start now. 
it's, it's a great idea on paper. Let me tell you that, Tim. <laughs> then you start getting into it and you realize, boy, this is a lot of lifting. What I did was I just took the list of all-time race winners from number one, Richard Petty at 200, down to all the guys that won one race. And frankly, I think you get there's 75 or 80 guys who won three or four races or more. So you just take that, you go down that list and you just start looking at the all-time wins list. And then you just start moving guys around. Well, this guy won 28 races and this guy down here won 22 races, but he, he also 22 wins. He also had two championships and he did it in six years where that guy did it 20 years. You start looking at longevity versus quality, quantity versus quality. And then you start just moving guys around. So, you know, the guys that are, one to 75 on the wins list, they're not going to be one through 75 on the all-time best list. I mean, there's going to be some shuffling around in there. And and there's and I thought I knew just about everything. And I came across a few guys who had meteoric careers that were there for a short time but got a lot done. And I, I was really surprised at, at some of this. Uh, the name, you know, Dick Rathman and Dick Hutcherson for two guys that, that I – I saw and I went, wow, I never knew just how much they did in such a little period of time. So I learned I learned a few things doing this. And uh, I think what we're doing, there's 75, so we're breaking them down in chunks of 15 and releasing one chunk a day, Monday through Friday of this week. Yeah, my job was much easier. Ken sent me his list, and then I tried to take all the old man bias out of it. So <laughs> I, I just infused some some young person. No, um <laughs> No, it's 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 like you said. You you just try to figure out how much you weigh championships, how much you weigh factors, um, you know, like eras and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, it's obviously not scientific. And and we came to uh came to a pretty good list here, I think, and and without too many uh, disagreements, I believe, right, Ken? I think we only had maybe one or two. That was about it. Yeah, you were you were really only grossly wrong a few times, I would say. <laughs> But I think the other thing is also try to take try, try to take subjectivity out of it. And and, you know, there are certain guys whose reputations are uh, amazing. I mean, within within the legends of NASCAR, I mean, the reputations are so much so that you go, oh, this guy's bound to be top in our top 10. And then you go looking at his record compared to others and you go, no, I'm afraid that the legends sort of built built them up in an almost mythical status. But when you look at the numbers and compare them to other guys, no, I'm afraid we're going to have to drop them down here a little ways. And there's going to be a few guys that are lower on the list than their biggest fans <laughs> and uh, would, would would think that they should be, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and, you know, Ken said he, he learned a few things. Well, I learned a lot of things because, you know, most of the guys he put on his original list, like like the start of his career, were – way before I was born. So uh, I learned a lot. Well, and there's a lot, to, lot more to learn. <laughs> I'll have to say this, that obviously Ken knows if he doesn't properly rate Cale Yarborough on this list, my childhood favorite, I'm going to drive an hour and a half up there to sternly wag my finger in your face. You'll be happy to know that there's a Yarborough and a Yarbro. Yeah. Different spellings. How about that? Yeah. Uh-oh, I may have to change up some of the trivia I got coming up for you later, but we'll Le- see. Leroy, Leroy, Kale borrowed a, he bought a vowel where Leroy did not buy a vowel. <laughs> well, you, you may get one of my trivia questions right then, Ken. Uh-oh, I'm a little scared. Oh, shocking. <laughs> well, and you know, you, you mentioned how the legends, you know, that they're often built up. You find that in most sports because when you look back, for instance, at, you know, a Hall of Famer in the NFL like Joe Namath, 
and you realize how many more interceptions and touchdowns he threw during his career, and you start to say, wow, you know, his one mythical moment helped build him up, but if he lived in today's day and age, he'd probably get eaten up, and I have a feeling a lot of older NASCAR drivers are probably like that, too. It it didn't help to play on that uh, that New York stage either. Yeah, if he had played if he had played with the Falcons, it might have been a different uh, different different time and place for him. <laughs> he would have looked funny walking around Atlanta wearing that coat. <laughs> <laughs> underground Underground Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, you you also recently had a story at NewsJournalOnline dot com, the home of the Daytona Beach News Journal, where you talked to Brad Keselowski, who's going into his second year as an owner. So, tell us a little bit about what Brad K had to say and uh, what what your story was about. Yeah, Brad was was really good, and and he he he's really good in interview situations like that. And um, you, you know, the owner. The owner driver part, they get here last year, they unload, and and as Ken will remember, they they just go out and win the first two dual races. They sweep them on Thursday, and it's like, oh, well, this is going to be easy. And obviously, it got a lot harder as the season went on. Uh, they did pick up a win late as uh, Chris Busher won at the Bristol night race, which was a highlight for him. But, you know, he, he kind of told me he was just ready for a new challenge. I mean, he, he had a, a premier ride at Team Penske, which obviously produced another NASCAR championship last year from Joey Logano, and just decided that he was he needed a new challenge, and it was time to to set himself up for whenever the end of his career would come. Now, he's 38, just like me. He's got a few years left, but when once you start getting into those mid-40s years, it, it starts becoming uh, more of a reality, and, and he saw that coming down the road, and, and now he has a way to kind of stay involved with sport um, for as long as he wants to. And, um, you know, their goal this year, he told me, was to kind of imp- – obviously wants to improve their speed, but when they do have speed, which they had at some races last year, they need to threaten for wins, and then at other races they need to elevate and finish the best that they can with what they have. And, um you know, Brad, as I went through it, it uh, among any driver here that doesn't have a Daytona 500 win, I mean, he's been the closest the most times, and it's it's by far. I mean, you go back the last 10 years and look at what has happened to him in this race, whether it was getting wrecked while passing for the lead on the last lap or, or blowing an engine or blowing a tire or finishing third, coming up a couple spots short, you know, if if – if the race went to who deserved it the most, it would be hard pressed to find a guy that, that deserves it more than he does at this point. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely be watching to see how they do this year and obviously expect, you know, better results now that he's got that year under his belt. So, you know, Ken, you also, you recently spoke with last year's Daytona 500 champion, Austin Sindrick. And, you know, I mentioned that he was a surprise winner last year, which obviously he was, but this is a young man who is rookie of the year has a ton of promise. So 10 years from now, that might not be a surprise when you see how his career goes. So give us a little insight into Austin Sindrick, what he was saying, and, and who do you think he'll become? Well, I don't know. There's your short answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he won Daytona last year, but that success at Daytona, be it on in the Thursday qualifying races or during pole qualifying or in the race itself, uh, means nothing going forward in the short term or long term. Uh, he he won the 500 by inches over Bubba Wallace last year and did not have another top 10 at an oval track until mid season. So, you know, he had a couple of top tens at road courses and that's his, uh, that's his playground, the road courses. And that's where that's kind of stuff he grew up on. And that's where that stuff is second nature to him. And that's where, if he's going to win more races this year, there's a better chance of them happening at a road course 
or super speedway like Daytona or Talladega than, than the other tracks, I would say just what common sense tells me that, but he will have every opportunity to succeed because he's at Roger Penske's team. His father is the president of team Penske. And so he's going to be, you know, he's going to be given a little more of a probably, you know, if things went haywire for him, he'd probably get a, a year or so longer than some other driver might get at that, at that team, I would think. And, uh, but he'll, he'll have every opportunity to succeed. And then I can't sit here and pretend that I know what's going to happen and make up something unless you want me to. If you, if you got time to kill, I'll start making up stuff. Oh, absolutely. We love fairy tales here. Go All ahead. Right, then he's, he's, winning, he's winning four times this year, twice mm-hmm. on a road course. And uh, once he's going to win on the Bristol dirt and then he'll mix in a super speedway win. So there you go. Uh, am I the only one that hears Penske and thinks of the Seinfeld episode where George is given the Penske file? That's right. <laughs> you know the uh, the crew chief this year is Art Vandelay. Oh, nice! <laughs> Say Vandelay Industries, Vandelay Industries. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get to our trivia here, I want to give each of you another opportunity. Is there anything else you want to talk about about this weekend's race? About any of the drivers? About any of your coverage? We'll start with Ryan. Go ahead. Oh my goodness! Speaking of how much time you have, I mean, by the time Ken gets done making up scenarios for Cindric and I do this, we'll, we'll have an hour. But um, now we have you covered and everything you could possibly have over there. We've been cranking out driver features for weeks now. In addition to Keselowski, we've already had Truex, AJ Allmendinger, Ryan Priest. There's a big story about Kim. What Kim was talking about earlier with Jimmy Johnson, Eric Jones, and Noah Gregson on the uh, Legacy Motor Club team, um, and then of course schedules. Um, some, some fun lists of, of drivers who have the longest droughts and we're going to continue to pump stuff like that out too. So if you haven't been over there, check it out. We've got about every angle covered. I think, I think we'll have a daily, uh, live updates from yep. Daytona starting Wednesday and, and every, you know, every hour or two, or as, as uh, situations dictate, we'll get into that file. And if anything, if anything good happens, if anybody says something good, bad or indifferent, we'll, uh, we'll get it up there as, soon as possible. So that's something you can keep your eye on, on your uh, phone or your laptop as the week goes on beginning Wednesday. That Wednesday's a big one because that's media day and all the drivers are coming in. So we can talk to uh, your aforementioned watermelon farmer and Chase Elliott and Bubba and all the guys. So um, I'm sure we'll have some content from all of them and many more. Well, there you go. And Ross Chastain, friend of the podcast, he's been on here a couple of times and hopefully we'll have him on again real soon. And also good news for those of you who not only love our digital products, but also still pick up our printed products. The NASCAR page is returning this week, correct, Ryan? Yeah, that is correct. Taking her for my my first shot at it ever for Ken. It's like talking to an old friend again. So there you go. (laughs) All righty. Well, very good, guys. Here we go. It is time for our trivia challenge And we're going to start with Ryan first. I'm going to give you guys a question and then four potential choices. And I'm keeping score here. I have a pen in my hand. I have an old school piece of paper right in front of me. I'm ready to keep score. You guys ready? Let's go. All righty. So, Ryan. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The first question is for Ken. I apologize. No, you are, bro. (laughs) Ken, who is the oldest driver to start a NASCAR Cup Series race? Is it Bobby Allison, Richard Petty, Morgan Shepard, or Cale Yarborough? Uh, it's got to be uh, not that long ago either, Morgan Shepard. That is correct. Morgan Shepard holds the record for oldest starter in a NASCAR Cup Series race 
at the 2014 Camping World RV Sales 301 at age 72. He also started in a, in a uh, Xfinity race, I believe, or was it trucks at age 77? Oh, that I think that was an Xfinity race. I want to hey. say this year. You know, I think that year he actually ran about 10 of them. So, well, there you go. 77 years old. That's not yep. fair because Ken covered his rookie season, I believe, too. Right? <laughs> it just never ends. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Well, here you go. Let's test your knowledge. Who is the oldest driver to win a Daytona 500? Is it Bobby Allison, Richard Petty, Morgan Shepard, or Cale Yarborough? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, when in I'm doubt. i this one up for him. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I knew the last one. I don't know this one, though. Um, I went in doubt. Go with, uh, go with the king, Richard Petty. That's my guess. Yeah. There you go. Nope, it was Bobby Allison, who was 50 when he won the Daytona 500 in 1988. And for bonus points, his son Davey took second place in that race. They're in our top 75, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's Bobby true. just snuck in, you know. <laughs> All righty. Well, it's Ken one, Ryan zero. All right, Ken, let's see (laughs) see if you can keep it rolling here. The winner of the Daytona 500 receives the Harley J. Earl trophy. True. Earl Earl is known. (laughs) 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 Earl is known as the father of what famed sports car? Is it the Camaro, Jaguar, Charger, or Corvette? Everybody thinks of Duntoff. As the, as the uh, Corvette, but I think Harley was involved in that too. I'll say Corvette. That is correct, D. Earl has been known as the so-called father of the Corvette, and he's also designer of the Firebird 1 prototype that adorns the trophy. Two points, Ken. But most importantly, he was good friends with Bill France Sr., and that's what, uh, gets, you, that's what gets your name on a trophy. There you go. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Who won the fifth? Daytona 500 in 1963. Was it Speed Demon Johnson, Tiny Lund, Rapido Rodriguez, or Killer Kowalski? That would be Tiny Lund. There you go. B, Tiny Lund. (laughs) It it helps when I'm the one that typed up the list of all-time winners this week. So there you go. (laughs) Do you know who Killer Kowalski was? Ah, that one. Did he make our 75? <laughs> yeah, he was, I think he was a middle linebacker on Penn State's national championship team. And that sounds like a football name. Uh, he, he was actually a wrestler in the roughly 50s and 60s who was known for his real brutality in the ring. He once kicked an opponent so hard, he ripped the guy's ear off. So that's Killer Kowalski. Well, that's just a Tuesday in the wrestling world. <laughs> As a side note, I believe, and Ken, I don't know if you know for sure, isn't Tony Lund the first driver to win for the Wood Brothers at Daytona 500? Uh, yes, and he also, uh, the, the other part of the story is amazing because he was a relief driver for Marvin Panch, who had won the 61 Daytona 500 and was uh, getting ready for, he was prepping for a sports car race at February at Daytona when his Maserati, I believe it was, caught fire. And Tiny Lum was one of the three or four guys that ran out and rescued him from the cockpit. And Tiny was, I think, driving the Arca Series or something at the time. He was out of the Midwest. And so the Wood Brothers said, hey, this guy's a racer. He's a hungry racer. And he's running a couple other races here this week. They put him in the car and he won the race. There you go. I guess I missed part of the story. Marvin was driving the Maserati, but his day job was driving for the Wood Brothers and NASCAR. And so he wasn't going to be able to run the 500 because he suffered burns. And Tiny, who was one of the guys that pulled him from the car, goes out and wins the race. Wow. Mm. 
This is better than Jeopardy. Talk about a history lesson along with trivia. There you Real go. first name, I believe, was Dwayne. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go. Two to one. And now it's Ken's turn again. Ryan finally on the board. Ken, how many times has a Toyota won the Daytona 500? Is it one, three, five, or seven? What? He gets the killer Kowalski question. Yeah, you get the easiest <laughs> question. Who, who picked who gets these questions? Anyway? I'll say three. I'm going to say three because I don't know. Ken, you are correct. It is three times. Three times. Five and Good seven sounds high. And by the way, all three from the same driver. Wow. R- Ryan, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Stop stealing my questions. The uh, next one is, Ryan, all three of those races have been won by the same driver. Who is the driver? Denny Hamlin. Oh, beautiful. I didn't even have to read you my ridiculous choices. <laughs> oh, gorgeous George. <laughs> the great Malenko. The first nature boy, Buddy Rogers. That's where you go. Hey, I just appreciate you asking me a question from when I've been alive. That helps my likelihood of getting it, getting it right. So, Well, historical think, trivia is much more fun than yeah. recent trivia. I think, well, in fairness, I think I was four or five when Bobby won, so I should have known that one. All right, well, let's see if Ken can get this next one. And it continues with the Hamlin theme. He is one of four drivers to win three Daytona 500s. Which of the following does not belong on the list of three-time winners? Is it Jimmy Johnson, Bobby Allison, Jeff Gordon, or Dale Jarrett? Uh, Gordon and Jarrett won three. Jimmy Johnson. Who were the other two? Jimmy Johnson and who? Bobby Allison. Uh. I will say I don't think Bobby Allison won three of them. So I will say he's the one that did not. Jimmy Johnson won two. I knew that one. Can I steal? <laughs> well, hold, hold on. You, you got to let me follow. <laughs> so, Ryan, who is second to Richard Petty with four Daytona 500 wins? Is it Cale Yarborough, Clem Kadiddlehofer, Bob Sacamano, or Chief J. Strongbow? I just want to hear you read those second two names. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, your favorite driver, Kale Yarbrough. That is correct. Clem Kadiddlehofer was a clown. Bob Sakamano was Kramer's friend on Seinfeld. And obviously, Chief J. Strongbow, another professional wrestler. We're tied at three to three. I told you it would be fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, Ken. This is a fill in the blank. I'm going to HR after this, by the way. (laughs) Alphabetically speaking, what driver has a name closest to the end of the alphabet who won a Daytona 500? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got to guess. You know what? No, you know what? I mean, Emmanuel Zervakis never won at Daytona, though he did win elsewhere. Uh, I mean, it's got to be a Y. And here's the thing. You're going to say Kale Yarborough. But technically, it's Leroy Yarbrough because he comes after Kale in the alphabet. But I know I the psychology on you. I'm going to go Kale Yarbrough. Oh, no, you should have stuck with Leroy Yarbrough. You even said it. It's (laughs) Y-A-R-B-R. That was the trick part. (laughs) I I extra tricked you. Double reverse psychology fails me again. Oh, All right, Ryan, now you can steal it away. Foghorn Leghorn. Here we go. A cru- you got to fill in the blank. A cruciferous green vegetable, also known as leaf cabbage, is known as what? <laughs> uh, uh, leaf cabbage. Yeah. Who, who have we been talking about? 
I'm not up to date on my leaf cabbage. Oh, you know, it took me a minute, too. I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> oh, OK. Wait, 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 wait. I got it. All right. We're talking first names. That would be a different spelling, I believe. But would it be kale? Yes, you win. <laughs> All right. Oh. <laughs> first, you guys got to know that I spent way too much time researching this because it's not like Jeopardy where I have a team of people. I was sitting there before the Super Bowl Sunday. Me, my computer, and my favorite beverage, trying to figure out ways to stump you guys. How'd I do? <laughs> that beverage was probably a kale smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if someone would have told me I would win a, a trivia contest based on kale in my lifetime, I would have uh, would have never believed it. So thanks, Mom, for making me eat it when I was a kid, and, and here we are. See, it paid <laughs> off. Well, you'll get your parting gifts after the show, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds good. All right, so this weekend, guys, uh, tell me, uh, you know, we're going to be at news-journalonline.com. What type of coverage are we going to get live during the race, and what should we be looking for? Yeah, so like Ken talked about, we're going to have live updates from every day. That includes Wednesday's media day qualifying, Thursday's duels, uh, Friday's truck race, Saturday's Xfinity and ARCA races, and Sunday's main race, and all the practices and qualifying in between, and you can bet if anything happens that's noteworthy, we'll probably spin it out into a separate as well. So, um, yeah, features, separates, live updates, whatever you would like to find, it's going to be there. All right. And Ken, seriously, you get to do this year after year. Does it ever get older? Is it just as exciting every year? Well, it's a little bit different every year. So thank God it's not the same old, same old every year or any, anything would get old. But no, it's uh, it's exciting every year. And it's you know, it's an outdoor event, so it's weather-driven. And if the weather's good, you have a good time. And if the weather's good on that final Sunday there of the 500, there's, you know, there's no, you know, it's one of the great days of the year. A couple or three hours leading up to the race when you're out there amongst all the people and the pomp and circumstance and all that going on and the driver intros and, you know, the full house up there. It's cool to be out there on a starting grid and look and, and see it. And uh, Ryan will get his first taste of that from that angle. So it ought to be, it's fun to, It'll be fun for me to watch it through the eyes of a fellow who's young enough to be my nephew, I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) I am looking forward to uh, Ryan and his Uncle Kenny out there on the starting grid watching watching the world go by and the flyover and all that. Oh, well, and, and you know, Ryan mentioned earlier he's he's 38, and you know he said that, that you know the guys in the mid 40s don't have as much left as the guys in their late 30s. I have to agree. I don't even feel like driving to Publix, let alone around a NASCAR track. <laughs> <laughs> but Ryan, wh- where can we find you on social media? You can find me at at rprit. That's r p r i t t. I still have not broken down and allowed myself to go Instagram yet, but that day seems to be more rapidly approaching. The more the more I cover prep sports around here. So soon I may be there, but for now, just on Twitter. All right. And Ken, where do we find you? I'm, I have an Instagram, but it's only for bathing suit shots. The, uh, <laughs> oh, dear God. Twitter, I, hope, so. I hope you're looking at them and not posting them. <laughs> <laughs> well, suddenly I've got, I'm going to clam up. Uh, yeah, you just type in my name at Twitter and you can find me. It's too complicated to try to tell you what the handle is. There you You'll go. Ken Willis, spelled like it sounds. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm an anti-social media guy. So I post everything that I do, but that's about as far as I go. All right, well, guys, great job as always. I appreciate you being good sports with my trivia. We look forward to all your coverage, and I do. I appreciate you guys being here. Ken, Ryan, thank you so much. Sure thing. Thank, thanks for having us. All righty, and that's going to do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. 
I'm Tim Walters, and to quote my childhood favorite Kale Yarborough, don't ever wrestle with a pig. You'll both get dirty, but the pig will enjoy it. We'll take your word for it, Kale. Thanks for listening and join us again next time. Thank you.